Thanks for letting Chad know his fly was down. It's always helpful. I've only had that happen once, and then my wife was like, oh my gosh, and she couldn't signal to me. It was a mess, but, and none of you told me, so you know what? Um, hey, I want to welcome you. My name is Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in the closing of our Oikos series. I would love to hear a little feedback. How has it been going for you? Is it good? I, 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 I tell you what, like I'm, I'm speaking these messages, but have been very, very challenged by this principle and bringing our like intentionality to those who we love and care about. And, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, one of the people who was on my Oikos list for years. And uh, this person, uh, it's interesting because you know, you've, before we even started this series, there's people on your heart that you love and you've been praying for for a long time. And it's interesting because I kind of thought I lost this friend to faith. We had done ministry together for a lot of years, but they started to become a little bit uh, jaded about their faith. I don't know if you know anybody like that. It just They just became hard. And it was a, a weird thing because I was very close with him and but to hear some of the things I'm like wow you you know that not to be true what you're saying and 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 now you're kind of like in you know you're kind of reverting back to who you were before Christ and it was really heartbreaking for me and it's just that continual I'm going to keep connection I'm going to continue to pray I'm going to try to encourage you I'm going to try to be here for you when hard times come and they did come and then try to just be the very best I can. I, I deeply care about this guy. And it was interesting because it really was uh, the pandemic when it happened kind of threw this person's world into a tailspin. And it was through the pandemic. I just kept calling every week and just checking on them, seeing how they're doing, how they're family. And I couldn't believe it, but it was that circumstance. Uh, and so... You know, there was nothing great about the pandemic, but in my friend's life, it was the thing, the catalyst that began to go, and seeing the world just kind of go bonkers for a couple of years. Do you remember that? Thank goodness we're kind of on the other side of it. And, and just realizing, wait a minute, like, my faith is what, what, what was grounding me because my life feels like it's out of control now. And, and I was just talking to him the other day and just listening to... Well, we're, we're, we're going to church every week. We go on Wednesday nights. I'm like, what, twice a week? This is crazy. Like, and we're inviting friends to go. And I found these group of guys who were just, we just talk about faith. And we're not ashamed about our faith. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but God, thank you so much. There's power in intentionality. And so I pray that over, you know, now that we're out of this series, um, that you will share your stories, and so we can encourage others with them. I'm going to, once a month, bring Oikos up, and if we have stories to share, we need to share them to encourage one another in the process. So I'll just briefly explain, if you're new here, which I know some of you are, our Oikos series is when we started, this will be the fifth week. It's a biblical principle of intentionally reaching your people. I think evangelism as a whole is very big, very wide, and almost unachievable, so we just step back, right? 
There's that old uh, psychological study that they did with people. They would put a few options on the table, if it was food or whatever, and they'd say, okay, tell me what one is your favorite. And you'd be like, oh, okay, there's five here, four here, I can do that. And then they would go put 24 options on the table, and they go, tell me what one is your favorite. And they go, I can't do that. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. I've got to step back. And I think evangelism has been that way. But we have people in our life that we love and we care about and those who God has placed in our path. And are we open to reaching them in, in, by any means possible, our people? We have covered what is an oikos. We have covered the purpose of an oikos. Pastor Tom had come and shared with us about that. And then we had covered the oikos card itself. Last week we talked about the power of a testimony. We all have a testimony. I'm assuming because at one moment you met Jesus, and therefore you should and do have a testimony, and it is powerful. It was interesting because as we were sharing our testimonies at our table groups, everyone at the table, it was like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of grew up in my faith. Does this make sense to some of us here? I kind of always known about my faith, so I don't know exactly when that moment was. And But it, what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be a... a, a darkness to light moment because the fact is that the moment you began to take your faith seriously is the moment that you have your testimony beginning you know it's interesting because we always think about like oh we need to have these Paul type of moments where we're knocked off of a horse and 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 our life was going one way and now we're going another way but I always think of it like a Peter type of story where it's like I was fishing and I was following this guy, John the Baptist, but now uh, I heard Jesus and now I'm following Jesus. And little by little by little, G- Peter becomes aware of who Jesus really is. And so there are stories all in between those. That's your testimony. And we all have one that our oikos, our people, should, should hear. Uh, this week we're going to close out. And I want to do one thing. I want to remove any obstacles that will hold us back. We can talk ourselves out of things, can we not? Except for like junk food, right? You can talk yourself. Well, I talk myself into it. I'm on like a, I have five days no sugar right now. So if I feel a little hungover or, or, or just struggling, it's because I'm not having sugar. I believe that Satan has created sugar to destroy, to destroy me. Uh, and so it's really hard right now. I'm having a hard time. But we have these things that will hold us back, you know, things that we'll talk ourselves into or out of where God is presenting opportunities all the time for us. When I think of Christians, I think of this story I was reading in the Indian Times. Yes, I read the Indian Times. I know you're just like, wow, it's very cultured. I uh, was reading this story, and it was interesting because it was a different version of the story that's very common, and it's a story of this, uh, and they were sharing it in a very, like, encouraging way of, like, hey, don't let yourself, you know, be locked down by the things of your past, things that have just been there your whole life, thoughts that you've carried that you just said, okay, I guess this is how it is, and it was a story of this guy goes into the village and uh, first time ever seeing this, where he saw all of these elephants just sitting in one spot. And he went up, and he was really curious because 
they're gigantic beast, and why are they just sitting there going nowhere? Why aren't they running? And he goes up to the trainer, and he finds him, and he says, why, why are they just sitting here? He goes, oh, you see that little rope, and you know the story. You see that little rope on their leg, and he goes, how does that rope hold them there? And he's like, there's no fencing. There's no nothing. What if they want to run? He's like, they'll never run. That little rope, what we do, it's the exact same rope that's on their leg, and we keep that same rope on their leg from when they're very young when we raise them up. When they're young, they cannot break it. And they fight it, and they fight it, and they fight it, and eventually they finally just realize that rope is unbreakable. Now at this size, that little rope is still the exact same reminder that they cannot break that rope. And he ended with saying this. He said, over time, they adopt the belief that it just not, wasn't possible. I think believers have the same issue when it comes to thinking that they can share the gospel. Someone else must be able to do it. I cannot do it. I'm just trying to figure my own life out. You say these things to yourself. I want to deal with the big lie, and it will be up on the screen here. I am not qualified to preach the gospel. That is a big lie. If you believe that, you are lying to yourself, and you're doing the kingdom a disservice. But so many people believe it. Oh, I'm just not qualified because I don't know this and this and this and this. I'm not qualified. I didn't go to seminary or I, I don't preach sermons. Right? You, you preach the sermons. I, I don't preach the gospel. It's even weird to hear it preach the gospel when I say it like that. I phrase it that way on purpose instead of sharing the gospel because you are called to preach the gospel. But I have some questions for you. Uh, what qualifies one to share to preach the gospel think about it what qualifies somebody well you know you got to go to school and and then in order to preach or you have to be called in order to preach no 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 no. i want you to show me in scripture what qualifies somebody to preach the gospel i don't want to have just uh cultural cliche arguments christianese type of talk show me in scripture what qualifies somebody to preach the gospel and then you should show me and I think you'll be surprised when you look what does qualify somebody. And then what is sharing the gospel? Show me in scripture what actually sharing the gospel is. We, ha- we have to get away from all these, uh, these ropes that have been tied to us for so long that have been repeated over and over in our head and maybe even by us and go right to scripture and understand exactly what is sharing the gospel. I have a really simple example. And I'm going to take us through it painstakingly, okay? So we all walk out with a moment, hopefully. Let's look back at your salvation moment. Let me ask you some questions, and you can ask yourself. Did I fully understand or know these things before you accepted Christ? Did you fully understand the incarnation of Christ? And you're like, uh, I don't even know what that is now, <laughs> Did you fully understand the power of the resurrection before you accepted Christ? Did you fully understand the true identity of Christ before you accepted him? Did you fully understand sin's state of power over people? Did you fully understand that? That was keeping you from God. Did you fully understand or know why Jesus surrendered himself Right to destroy that sin. Why was he necessary? Did you understand Jesus is our mediator, standing in place for us? Did you fully understand the character of God 
or the mercy versus merit concept? Did you fully understand why one sin in God's presence is no different than a million in his presence? So no one is good enough to stand before God. Did you fully understand that God gave Jesus this sinless, perfect person to pay the price for your sin? Because one sin is equal to a million to this holy God. Did you fully understand that before you said I want to follow you, Jesus. Did you study all the biblical themes of the Bible? Did you know systematic theology before you accepted Jesus? Did you study and apply proper hermeneutics to Scripture when you are reading it? Had you read the Bible front to cover before you accepted Christ to make sure you were qualified? Did you get your life in order first? Before you met Jesus? Or did you get rid of any unhealthy sins before you met Jesus? Did you feel holy enough in that moment when you met Jesus? And did you speak in theological terms or even maybe worse, Christianese before you met Jesus? Think about that. So, if you feel that you are unqualified to preach the gospel to someone but yet you didn't understand any of those things before you met Christ. What must you know to preach the gospel to someone else? Do you think that they need to know any of those things before they met Christ? Did I make my case good enough here? Okay, good. Yet you did believe and you did hear someone, you did hear someone and you believed what they shared with you. You were drawn in your, I think you were drawn in your heart they were, too, to respond to the simple invitation. It, it, you, you, you weren't someone who ever preached to you or whatever the moment was. It wasn't perfectly articulate. It wasn't perfect. You didn't have this profound understanding, but yet you resonated with something. You said things like this, I will follow this Jesus I haven't seen. That's the kind of things that you said. I will receive this grace I didn't earn. And for some reason, it makes sense. I will receive it. I need this Jesus, this Jesus we're, you're talking about, to make him my Lord, to, to find salvation in him, and to let him govern my life. I'm ready to let that happen. Something has been missing, and I believe that I've found it here in this moment. But yet... That was the gospel presented to somebody, preached to somebody, and it didn't have almost any of those elements I had mentioned before. Do not disqualify yourself from preaching the gospel to your oikos. Remember that you didn't understand it, but you still believed it. Why? Why is that? Don't you find that strange? If you would have met me when I was 19, 20 years old, and I was sitting in my room, and I was praying to God, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done. I am no longer wanting this life here. There must be something different. I knew nothing about the Bible. I had ideas of it. I was raised in a religious home, but I didn't absorb any of that, nor did I want to. But in a moment, for some reason, something was going on inside of my heart, and I knew that if I called on Jesus, 
he would answer me. And he did. That changed my life so profoundly more than reading the Bible cover to cover. Your oikos, it doesn't need perfection. It just needs you. It just needs you to preach the gospel. They need a believer who can bear witness to what God's been speaking in their heart. Because God is always speaking in the hearts of humans. He is wanting his children to be a part of his oikos, his home. And he is working tirelessly. We always kind of quote scriptures like this, like, oh, the devil, he's roaming around like a roaring lion and waiting to see who he can devour. Do you know that passage? Do you know the more important passage that God wills that no one be lost, that he knit you in the womb. He knows you intimately and deeply. He knows the heart of mankind and wants so desperately that they become a part of his house. He is working through the spirit on the hearts of all people. But yet the devil roaming around like the roaring lion seems to be more of the bigger deal. Like, ooh, the devil, he's around the corner. God is working on everyone's heart. This is why it resonates, because when a believer who might not be able to, to uh, perfectly articulate their faith shows up and something resonates with what God is doing in their heart, I almost asked for an amen, but you know what I'm talking about. Yep, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, how about that? 1 Corinthians 3.5, great passage. We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. In verse 6, I planted the seed, Paul says, in your hearts. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting, and it is not important who does the watering. So remove yourself from the importance of it. The fact is that you're just trying to water and you're just trying to plant seeds. But what's important? That God makes the seed grow. That's what's important. I think sometimes when it comes to our oikos, we might think that we take the whole burden upon ourselves. Like, okay, God, I will save them. <laughs> okay, calm down. Um, but we have to remember what Paul is saying here. What's most important is that God makes the seed grow. <clears throat> Verse 9, continuation of that, which is, says this, for we are co-laborers in God's service. I think a lot of times we think we are running the show when it comes to reaching people in our oikos, and it all depends on how good you can be in that moment. But we are co-laboring. God was working on your heart long beforehand. So when one piece of divine truth was an aha moment for you, it resonated with what you were missing spiritually. Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, said this, God doesn't qualify uh, doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He will direct your steps. The Bible says this, is that in Paul's prayers, that may God, the Spirit, speak through you as you open your mouth and give you the words to say when the words are needed. He will qualify you as you go. That was just my opener, and we'll get into the sermon. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for just the fact that you are working on the hearts of people. You are continually working on the hearts of people because you want them in your oikos. I ask God for boldness within our church 
a, 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 a continual reminder and intentionality of the people in their oikos, the people that you have on their hearts and that you are on those people's hearts. God, I pray that you use us as an instrument for your kingdom to bring you glory because you are like the Father, God. And let us never forget the image that Jesus painted of you. That you are the Father waiting at the house, looking at a far distance for those who are lost to come home. This is your very heart. And so, God, we love you and we thank you so much for this time we've had in Oikos. I pray that this be one that carries with us all year. And, God, that we have amazing stories that we celebrate with you like you threw that party for the lost son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, my title might not make sense, but it's going to have some, uh, it'll make sense. I titled this Fervor of the Faithful, and, and this is all about fanning the flame. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you got to fan that flame. You, got, you know what's true. You know what's inside of you. Fan the flame, and fan the flame, that fire inside of you, to share what you know to be true. We know, we know what is true. Inside of us, we know what God has done in our life. We know what it means to be a believer. We know that we were once going this way and we're going this way. We know what it's like. So I want to fan that flame a little bit for you, you who have the fervor of the faithful. Three ways that you can open the doors to Oikos, and this is very practical and super, super simple. One is this, is the semblance of Christ is important. You must resemble a little bit of Christ. You must resemble him. The goal that we are working towards is to be an image bearer. And so the more people, when they see Christ, it speaks to what God's been speaking in their heart, this missing part of their life to connect them with the truth, to be an example. Charles Colton, he popularized this phrase, this proverb that's been around for a long time in the 1800s. He said, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, or imitation is admiration. When we are imitating Christ, right, we are honoring him in the greatest way possible. You know when your kid is starting to imitate you, you just... I don't know if it's your, is it your ego? I don't know what it is, but I just love it when one of my kids is all of a sudden doing something that I do. Like this little, dumb little thing I do, and I'll see them do it, and I'm like, hmm, I really like that. I want to watch them do what I do. It's funny when they do it. Like <laughs> even my really bad habits, like I have like a couple really just like lazy type of habits, and I'll notice one of my kids doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's bad. I got to stop that. But they're doing it exactly how I do it. God, God loves it when we imitate him, when we are image bearers. But not only does he just love it that you are walking in his way, but that people are seeing you getting a glimpse of you, seeing an example of Christ, and it will then resonate with something that's been going on on the inside their whole life. It will draw them to you. I think it's this, doing your best to walk like Christ in your oikos. That's what you're trying to do. I'm going to try to walk like Christ the very best in my oikos. It's the idea of preaching the gospel as much as possible, but 
only using words when necessary, that type of example. You won't always have the words, but you definitely can work on the actions, right? Of trying to model what Christ was like. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think that we need a revival of the what would Jesus do bracelet. Do you remember these? Right, put these up on the screen. Remember those things? WWJD. I think that might have been a, a great time in Christian culture, even though it's corny and you had your WWJD bracelet on. But boy, it did remind you in moments. You couldn't quite reach your right hand out the window and give somebody <laughs> one of these and then be like, oh, well, that's not what Jesus would do. I don't think so. Like, you can't be engaged in something that you knew was wrong and look at your bracelet. Now, when I was first a believer and I was really trying to work on myself, I would uh, take my WWJD bracelet off when I knew I was going to engage in certain sins. And then I would put my WWJD bracelet back on and I'd be like, after I had repented and was like, Jesus, you wouldn't have wanted to been there. <laughs> it wasn't good. Think about this, though. Think about the wedding ring. Your wedding ring, when you've gone into covenant and you're saying, you are my person, this will represent you when I'm away from you. But why is it we always see it in the movies? Or why is it when I've heard stories of couples who do this, they will literally remove the wedding ring before they engage in this act with this other person. Why do they do it? They do not want to be reminded of the covenant that they have. And so they'll do that. But the, it's just like my WWJD break. I, it was like just... Just Can we just take a break for now? We need something like that in our life again. I'm not trying to resurrect this. I'm trying to maybe make a point that we have to be conscious. And whatever means necessary to be conscious that we are constantly representing Christ's image bearers. We speak the loudest in our actions. This is why being an example is the most important thing. We speak the loudest in our actions. Have you ever heard somebody say something, but then they act completely different, and you're very, very confused by it? I used to be a little passive-aggressive. None of you would relate to this. Not great with my feelings. Didn't really learn how to express them very well. And so my wife, when we would get in an argument, she'd be like, are you upset? And I'm like, no, honey, I'm fine. That's very passive aggressive. Like, I'm totally fine. She's like, seriously. I'm like, no, I'm totally cool. It will just be a low-grade anger that will leak out all over the place, and everyone will feel it. Our actions will speak much louder than our words. We cannot be people just of words. Philippians 2, it's just a little bit of a longer passage, but I want you to hear some of the good meat. I want you to listen to the don'ts. I want you to listen to the be, and I want you to listen to the must, okay? So Philippians 2.1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the saints? He's reminding them who they are and what they have. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, Paul is writing to them, by um, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other 
loving one another, and working together with one mind. Here comes the don'ts. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Here comes a be. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Another don't. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Here's the must. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. You've got to have the same attitude that Christ had. Which is, he resisted those don'ts. He embraced the be. Though he was God, and now he's talking about Jesus' very nature. He was God. He didn't think uh, of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. In other words, it's the very nature of him to lead by this example in the bee. Verse 12, skip down a little bit. Work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Living clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of God. It's hard to resist the don'ts but we're going to have to try. That's how we become an example. You're going to have to WWJD those moments and resist it. And it's hard to embrace those bees, to put someone else in front of you, right? To think of someone else's interest besides your own. I tell you what, I got a little nervous as soon as uh, the pandemic happened and I went into Costco and I saw what was happening in there. No one was going, oh, you get the toilet paper first. That was not happening. It was cutthroat. It was like, I've got to get out of here because I'm pretty sure a riot's going to happen over toilet paper. Hello, people. Get a bidet. I mean, like everybody. Okay. So like, figure this out. And it was like one of those things that was really like, Wow, like when, when someone is fearful, they will put themselves in front of someone else. And, and Jesus, or Paul says, like, we, we cannot do this. We have to, have to live as people who are as an example that people will go. That's something different. Something in my heart says, I'm interested in what's going on with that person. And, and we have to commit to the must to have the attitude of Christ. That must is very hard, but you have to commit to it. And, and the thing is, a spiritual need does recognize spiritual acts when it sees them. Someone who is spiritually deprived recognizes divine acts. And that will be through you as an example. It will resonate with people. They'll be like, why, why, why are you doing this? Why did you handle that situation that way? Why are you, why, why are you like that? It, it recognizes, it notices that something doesn't compute. It doesn't function in this world. That is otherworldly. And they are drawn to that. First John 2, 2. This is the, one of the best. We read over this easily, but this is a great verse. He is the propitiation of, for our sins and not 
for not only for ours, um, or, or sorry, not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is it. That not only for you, but Jesus is the answer for all so they can be in the presence of God. And by this, we know that we come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is about being an example. Whatever, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And we don't want to be liars. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, uh, truly the love of, the, of God is perfected. By this, right, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him. And this, all that was a setup for this last verse ought to walk in the same way of which he walked. By being an example. This is what we do. So, I would love us to commit to a WWJD type of week. And I bet you people will notice something about you. Something will resonate. That's who we want to be in our oikos, as much as you're able to do it. I get it. Traffic's tough sometimes. <laughs> okay? But in moments, we have to be able to do it. The second thing I think will open the door in our oikos is a supportive mentality. That I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to support you in what you need. I'm here. I didn't want to just say servant-hearted because I think that narrows it sometimes, but a supportive mentality. Someone who just even needs someone to, to talk to. It's a supportive mentality. I think this needs invite, and it should be on the screen, needs invite opportunities to practice the very heart of Jesus' ministry. Needs are everywhere. They're like little flashing signs that say, help, I need you, I need something, I'm in need of something. And we are supposed to be like, drawn to those beacons of need. It's a great opportunity for us to actually do what Jesus did. I wrote a couple examples down. One, um, how about this? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I got to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to this visit, but I got to go. And oh, do you have anybody going with you? No, it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, I'm nervous. Well, I'll come sit with you. These are so basic, and I know you're like, of course, I get it. But I'm, I'm telling you, these are these basic things, the supportive mentality that will open the doors for your oikos. Or I'm moving. Well, um, depending on your ability, I can clean. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, sure, I wouldn't mind helping you move. Uh, really? Yeah, we get this all the time. Chad, do we not? I just had someone the other day tell me they're moving. Sadly, broke my heart. They're leaving. They're going to Tennessee. I don't like Tennessee anymore. And so uh, that's where everybody seems to be moving from our church. And so they were telling me that they're moving. I'm like, hey, can I help you? I'm like, oh, dude, thank you so much. Like, I can get people. I can find. I'm like, you have people. I'm your people. And it was funny because it's just one of those little tiny things. And, or I can't find a sitter and, and, and things fell through. Well, we can watch your kids. I mean, if you trust us, like, we'll watch your kids for you. No, I'm worried about blah, 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 blah. Well, hey, like, do you want to talk about it? I can pray with you about it. Oh, I'm getting laid off. Oh, man, I'm very, very sorry. Like, I'm going to put the feelers out for you. And we're going to try to find you a job. My car broke down. Well, we've got one just sitting here. My kid is at school, and, and they don't. I have to move it for street sweeping, so it would be a blessing if you took it. 
those types of things. Or the kids are sick. Well, what do they need? What do you need? How can we help? My family member isn't well. They're, they're not doing well. I'm always there. And we're at the tail end of things. How can I be there for you? Can I bring you a meal? What can I do for you? I'm stressed out. What can I take off your plate? This is that mentality. My marriage is falling apart. Hey, listen, I'm, I, I'm no marriage expert, but if you need someone to talk to, I'll put feelers out for any kind of good therapy, or we'll watch the kids. Here's a, car, here's a gift card for date night, if that can at least help. These are the types of supportive mentalities that will open the doors to your oikos. I've talked about this briefly before, but I've done so much reading in this area of this pandemic that happened in AD 252. And I was fascinated by it because there's a lot of writings about this pandemic. It's uh, very likened to uh, Ebola. And I actually think that it might have been this version, early version of Ebola. But what we don't realize, and we think our pandemic was bad, and they write and they describe what's happening with blood from the eyes and, and, and out of the mouth. It, it's, it's horrific what they talk about what's going on in their bodies. And they, their, feet are, their, their feet are almost immobile. They can't walk. And, and, and it's horrific. And so the Christians at this time were under intense persecution. And the reason why is because that Rome was beginning to implode. They had people from the north invading. They had people from the east invading. Rome was becoming more and more corrupt by its own doing. Its systems were beginning to collapse. It was, it was a struggle for the empire. They had, uh, in 50 years, 20 emperors. So this was not good. It was a lot of instability. And what they did is they said, there surely must be a reason. Our gods are punishing us. But these Christians will not bow the knee. And so they made them either give sacrifice or go to prison or to be tortured or killed, which many Christians opted for death. And so it's just rampant in all the parts of the empire. In one city in Carthage, it has the most detail of this pandemic, is where it was documented. And so imagine this, this Rome is on the brink of ruin by its own doing. They're beating these Christians and killing these Christians. The empire is definitely breaking. And at the very peak of its uh, a fractured nature of the empire, a pandemic comes. And this pandemic was relentless. It went on for 10 years. By the time it had worked its way through the entire empire, it had killed 60% of the entire population. 5,000 people died a day in every city. It was unbelievable. It was one of the most catastrophic historic pandemics of all time. And there was this bishop, uh, uh, Cyprian, and he was a bishop of Carthage. And he, all the people are leaving the cities and people are dying in the streets. And he writes to his believers that we need to stay in the city and we need to be in the city and we need to help the people. He said this, we must help our persecutors. We must treat them as ourselves. 
These people who were hated us, ostracized us. We got to go help them. We got to be there. And they did. And it was an unbelievable event. And it happened all over the empire where the believers served. The believers were there for support while everybody else was leaving. At the end of the pandemic, uh, Rome took him, this bishop, and at the very end in Carthage decided to execute him because he wouldn't bow the knee to the gods and they beheaded him. But the entire city of Carthage came out to pay support and honor to his leadership within the city that saved so many lives. Christianity from that moment on changed the entire world. The population of Christianity exploded exponentially. Why? A supportive mentality that opens the doors for people. John 13, 12, Jesus gives the very best example of a supportive mentality, an idea that we are here to serve, and this will open the doors in our oikos. Verse 13, uh, John 13, 12, when he had uh, washed their feet and put his honor garments, uh, put on his honor garments and, his, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Uh, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should, uh, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. From the moment Jesus laid everything down to be here, taking on human form, everything he does is about servanthood. Every person he interacted with was about servanthood. And he gives his disciples this very small little, remember when I washed your feet, which was not a job of a teacher at all, and not a very nice one either, that I've come to serve. That is how people's hearts open. They resonate with that. The very last thing that I think will open the doors in your oikos is to share what you can. You might not know it all, but you can share what you can. You know, I'm someone who loves to know facts, but I don't know all the details of the facts, so don't ever question me beyond what I told you, right? I love facts, all kinds of facts, historical facts, all that stuff. And I'll say a fact, and then someone's like, oh, really? How about this? And I'm like, I, you got me. I just need the fact. You know, me and Google, we're, you know, we're on the same page. It's okay if you don't know everything. But if it's true to you, that's, all, that's enough. If it is real to you, people can hear it. I think the, the humans have been searching for meaning our whole existence. And people are desiring for a sense of meaning, desiring for more. You know, like everything that promises all this wonderful things that will give you meaning... We see that in the end, if you put your hope and trust in that, it usually disappoints people. It usually fails. People who have it all, but they're 
they have no meaning in it. And so you have this meaning that people are desiring to, and you are this conduit to connect them to it, to say, I think I know what you're looking for. Age to age, it's been this way. I was reading this book on ancient first century Christian culture, and this guy was uh, saying, he was talking about afterlife with the Romans and the Roman Empire. And he said he, he said he'd done a lot of archaeological research, and he went from tomb to tomb to tomb to tomb, and he saw the same inscription. He was so curious about this inscription because it really summed up the mentality of, like, was there more in life than what they had? And what the tomb says is, I was not, I am not, I care not. Can you imagine that on your tombstone? Not great for a grave visitation. I was not, I am not, I care not. There was no hope beyond what was there. But humanity has been desiring it their whole life. God has fashioned us this way. And I'll just say this. You may not know a lot, but a little goes a long way. When the demoniac was delivered, we talked about maybe a couple of sermons ago, and he's like, imagine going most of your life crazed and you're in right mind. It, it, it's, it's a miracle. But he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want to go on the road with you. And Jesus is like, no, go back to your oikos. Now, how much theology did he know at that time? And Jesus said, just tell them about what has happened and the miraculous thing that God has done for you. He didn't know a lot, but a little went a long way. It prepped the ground for the disciples for sure. How about the centurion in Matthew 8 where he is like, hey, Jesus, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. I, I get it. I'm a guy of authority. If I say something, people do it. You say it, it'll be done. And it, just a little bit of understanding goes a long way just a little bit of a concept goes a long way and Jesus says he's got more faith than anyone in Israel a little bit goes a long way how about the disciples Matthew chapter 10 Jesus gets the disciples together and he's like I'm sending you out and you got to go out and you're gonna go house to house and you're gonna share the kingdom and he is telling them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is coming only Jesus was doing that beforehand, and he entrusts them with it. But if you keep reading, it gets a little bit like, oh, oh, because Matthew 14 is when Jesus is yelling at his disciples saying, oh, you, ye of little faith, when they're freaking out, and they think Jesus is a ghost, and he's like, oh, you of little faith, what's wrong with you? you? You don't need much. These disciples didn't even have much. One minute, Jesus is sending them out to proclaim the kingdom, and the next minute, he's telling them, oh, you of little faith. You don't have to be perfect. You do not. You just have to, it just takes a little. It doesn't take a lot for someone's heart to connect with the gospel. God will do the work. He will grow. Your oikos will vary. And then I'll close with these three categories. Your oikos is going to vary. The first one is the completely uninformed person. They know nothing, and you have them on your list. They know nothing about the gospel. They don't know the Bible. They cannot tell you a book of the Bible. I'm always testing my daughter. She's the absolute worst student. It, it's just unbelievable. I'll be like, okay, so who is Jesus' dad? And she's like, Peter? <laughs> no. Um, 
Who, who, who was on the ark? Peter? It's Peter every time. So now when she comes in the door, we're like, Peter, right? So like, Peter, it's unbelievable. Like, but there are people, some people who literally don't know. My daughter does know more than Peter. But like, there are people who have no idea. They can't talk theological words. They don't get the concepts of sin and atonement. Acts chapter 17 is one of the best, and we taught this in our Acts series, but listen to how Paul handles this. This is a great example. Verse 23, for as I pass along and observe these objects of worship, he's in Athens where they don't care about uh, 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 Israel. They don't care about their faith, and they surely do not care about Jesus. I found also an altar with this inscription, the unknown God. What? Therefore, what, uh, there, uh, what therefore you worship as unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you now. And let's see if it resonates. And it did with a few of them. They left that council of wise and, and honored people to go follow and listen to hear more of what Paul had to say. That's something that resonated with them about this unknown God. He's filling in the blanks. You will have people that... That's, they're looking for something. I had uh, someone in my office, and they were sharing all this stuff, and it was very new age. And, and I was saying, that's, a, that's really good. I, I, that, that's a very, very good principle. Let me show you what that is in the Bible, and actually that, that there's Jesus that would actually speak to what you're talking about. And over and over and over and over. And, and I'll tell you what, like, there are people who are completely uninformed, but they're looking for something, and you can at least point to the way, and it may resonate. And then there's the skeptical or the prideful. You will have them in your oikos. Uh, this interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate is interesting. It says, then Pilate said to him, so you're a king, Jesus answered. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. He's sharing the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? I... <laughs> you might have people who are like, I, I don't... I've heard everything. What is truth? You'll have people like that on your oikos group and list. But you just continue to be available for them. Pilate was even taken back by this that he even proclaimed Jesus is not a guilty Man. And the last one, I think you should read it to John 3. It's about this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, the ones who are seeking to understand. And sadly, sometimes it's just more intellectually. But they're seeking to understand. They just can't quite put it together. It's beautiful because theologically, Nicodemus is struggling to understand what Jesus is talking about. And what he does with Jesus is very important because he's one of the Sanhedrin. He's a one of the leaders of Israel, religiously, he's dedicated his entire life to doing things the right way. And he has to come in the middle of the night representing a few other people and saying, listen, we see that you're a rabbi. We see also that you might be like a prophet or something because you clearly you're from God. But he missed it on all those things. All of his ideas of Jesus were wrong because Jesus was the Savior. 
And Nicodemus couldn't quite get it. And Jesus talking about rebirth. And Nicodemus is like, I can't get rebirth from my mom. Gross. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. How can you be a leader of Israel and not understand the spiritual concept that you need to be reborn? And then he uses this example that Moses had to put a stick. You remember this story in the Old Testament of a serpent on a stick. And everybody who looked at it were healed from the snake bite up on this stick was the very thing that was hurting them they needed to look at to, to be healed you know it's kind of interesting about that the conversation ends john 3 16 happens in this conversation and then nicodemus is part of the sanhedrin he is there during his trial there during his crucifixion and he is seeing what jesus says and he is up on a cross and he is looking at him now, Nicodemus, who knows what happened with this exercise of trying to understand his faith. But he's experiencing something that is making his faith maybe become real. He's the one who asks for Jesus' body. He's the one who has Jesus' blood all over his hands as he's putting him to the tomb and wrapping him. He's the one who saw there's something greater here, but couldn't quite put it together intellectually, but experientially something's happening to him. He's gaining a revelation. I don't know what happens in Nicodemus beyond that, but there are people who just, they're seeking to understand. They're not quite there, but at one point, maybe something will open up to them. They can't quite reason it, but their heart will align with their mind at some point. You never stop giving up. You'll have many more people like of variations on your list. I'll close with this last scripture. This is more of a charge. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We must know that. But listen to the following part. And there's a lot of hows that we need to pay attention to. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful the feet of the messenger who brings the good news. And that's true for you. There is someone who's God is teeing up, waiting for you to bring good news. You can preach the gospel. And there are Ways of which you can preach the gospel without words. And even if you don't have the right words, God does. And he makes it grow. You just plant seeds. So let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you, God, for uh, incorporating us into your work and involving us, God. Giving us an opportunity to co-labor with you. And God, I ask that every single person here understands that they can and they can preach the gospel. And God, that every single person here walks out with the idea that they understand what boldly proclaiming you is. And God, that we seek to be the example that you were, Jesus, that we walk in your way, that we seek to have a supportive mentality, that we look to need, we look for need because it's an opportunity, God. And then, God, we speak what, what we can. And God, you will do the rest as long as we're faithful. But who will go? People can't hear 
unless people are talking and people are there. So God, send us. We love you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this last song?